Welcome back to Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. We're going to continue with our discussion about identifying and preventing vulnerabilities. In this section, we want to talk about how unawareness in itself is a vulnerability. And obviously, that means we're going to talk about mindfulness. And then we'll review emotional and cognitive vulnerabilities. In the first section, we talked about physical vulnerabilities. But there are also emotional and cognitive things that could kind of sneak up and bite us in the butt. Uh, some of these are negative emotional states, attributions, and locus of control. So let's start with unawareness. Well, what does that mean? It means not being aware of how you feel. Mindfulness means being aware of not only your physical vulnerabilities, but also how, how you feel emotionally and your attitude and perspective for the day. So think about if you got up in the morning and you know you weren't feeling too bad. I mean, generally I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, am I sick or am I healthy? I know I'm breathing. That's a good thing. Um, and then I go about my day. I don't stop and go, how do I feel emotionally? What's my attitude like? Um, or at least not until after I've had my first cup of coffee. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Being aware of how you feel gives you kind of a leg up because then you can prepare for the rest of the day. If you know that you got up on the wrong side of the bed, you can either do something to try to improve the next moment or, and or, you can give yourself a wide berth and let people know that you're in a bad mood or don't put yourself in situations where you're going to have to um, be in stressful situations because you're probably already, you know, right there at the precipice of just being downright grumpy. So be aware of how you feel physically, emotionally, and cognitively, what your, what your attitude is. When you feel negative emotions, it causes the brain to keep the fight-or-flight reaction going. So again, remember we talked about that HPA axis in the first one. If you're feeling angry, anxious, or depressed, but angry or anxious are your, are your excitatory ones, that means the threat response is present. So we need to figure out why. But when it's activated, it prevents the happy, calming neurotransmitters, your brain chemicals, from being excreted. So you're going to be more amped up, more irritable, more anxious, more stressed out, whatever word you want to use for it. So what do we do? Develop coping skills to deal with them. I love this one because it's just like, okay, fine, blah. But if you could do that or if you knew, how, knew which ones to develop, you would have already done it. So obviously this isn't going to happen overnight. But knowing that constant chronic stress and there are things that are causing your irritability knowing that you need to figure out what's causing them and how to deal with them is the first step in the battle insert positive rewarding experiences during the day i try every day to go on facebook or youtube or somewhere and find something that makes me laugh. I try to find a meme to share with my daughter. I try to find something that's going to be, make me smile. That's going to be a positive, rewarding experience. We have uh, a family of squirrels living in our barn right now. And, you know, regardless of how you feel about squirrels, I love them. They're little, little hands. Um, and they'll peek over the, the um, what are they called? The beams in the, in the barn and just look down at us and see what we're doing. I mean, they're, perfectly harmless, but uh, they're cute. I enjoy looking at something that's cute and it's actually, they're actually helping me out because they're keeping some of the wild birds out of the barn. But anyway, so insert positive and rewarding experiences, whatever that is for you. 
maintain your sleep routine. And I'm going to sound like a broken record with this and keeping a healthy diet, but they are so important. If you're feeling negative, if you're feeling stressed out, you may not get good quality sleep, but at least fake it. You know, go through the motions, do what you need to do. So eventually, as your stress starts to go down, your sleep will improve. Teach your body. This is when we start winding down. This is what we start doing. And it will finally start to kick into gear. Eat a healthy diet so you've got the um, building blocks in order to combat negative emotions by building the positive neurotransmitters. But also a healthy diet helps keep you healthy so you're not irritable because you're sick. Um, and it gives you energy. And when our blood sugar is low, we tend to be more anxious and more irritable. And exercise. Now, exercise can kind of help you feel better because it allows you to get out some of those negative emotions, allows you to use some of that energy to do something positive. But any kind of movement will help. If you just sit on the couch, you're more likely to sit there and stew on whatever negativity is going on. Exercise is a general term, just like good nutrition. I'm not saying become a marathon runner. I'm saying move. Get up, dance around the house, go out and walk your dog, whatever it is that helps you get up off the couch and move, because generally that will help you feel a little bit better. But let's talk about these emotions really quick. Your typical emotions, and I have them clustered, anger, guilt, jealousy, envy, and resentment are all in the anger cluster. They're in your fight cluster. Anxiety and stress, those are your fear emotions. Those are in your flight cluster, if you will. So when you feel anxiety or stress, you want to get away from it. You're worried. You want to run. You want to escape. And grief and depression are in your loss category, if you will. We tend to grieve things that we've lost. We feel depressed when something important to us is gone or when we feel like we don't have the ability to conquer whatever it is. So kind of loss of power, if you will. So there are three basic categories we want to look at. Anger, obviously, you know, you don't need to explain that. That is your way of dominating a threat, of trying to get back your power. Guilt is anger at yourself for something you either did do or didn't do. So, you know, it's the past. Figure out what to do about it and then move on. But guilt has a lot more to it. We're going to talk about that in a second. Jealousy and envy can be anger at other people for having something you want or anger at yourself because you don't have something that you want. And resentment is generally at other people or towards other people for something. It's a different form of anger. But when we hold on to those, does it do any good? Anger and anxiety are designed to get us up off the couch and get us to do something. Do something different. Do something to address the threat. They're not designed for us to dwell on and to hold and to nurture and to mold. They're designed to get us up and get us moving. That's why they have excitatory chemicals. We're supposed to do something. So what causes these things? Threats. Generally, they can be boiled down or distilled down to some basic threats. Rejection or isolation. We are designed, again, if our brain is protecting us, we are designed to kind of be in a pack mentality. Rejection doesn't feel good. Now, do we have to have everybody like us? No. So one of the things you want to think about if it's triggering your fears of rejection is how much does this person matter? And what do I think about it? Am I okay with whatever it is? Failure. 
again, none of us likes to fail. And when you fail, you could be, you know, in jeopardy of losing your job or losing your house or whatever. So again, failure is a threat, but you can look at it as a threat or you can learn from it and say, okay, this is a learning opportunity. So I don't do that again. Loss of control puts you in jeopardy. It puts you in a position of being weak, if you will. And most of us don't like being in a position of vulnerability. So totally get how that's a threat, but you've got to look at whatever's triggering your anger or anxiety that has to do with loss of control and go, is this really a big issue right now? You know, if somebody cuts you off when you're driving, you didn't have control over that person. You get angry. You get road rage. Is getting angry over that, over your loss of control in that situation, does it do any good? So that's where our higher order thinking comes in and says, you know what? Not worth my energy. Going to let it go. The unknown some of us tolerate it better than others. I don't like the unknown. I don't like surprises. But, you know, it depends on the person how much that bothers them. So one thing I tell people to do, and it's kind of a real easy thing, you can say to yourself, I'm feeling, and identify the emotion, so we'll stick with anger right now. I'm feeling angry about whatever it is. Um, I'm feeling angry about getting caught off on traffic. It triggers my fear of loss of control or death or whatever it is because and figure out why it triggers that fear for you why it triggers that threat and then you can say all right with all that knowledge is this worth my energy to deal with and to expend right now or is it something I can't let go you can also figure out you know is there something I can do to change the situation another part of individual vulnerabilities is how you think about things Attributions are whether you, how you attribute causality, if you will. Global, internal, stable, negative attributions are bad. It means everything always is bad. It will never change, and it's because of me. It's internal. You know, I am a bad person forever and always. Well, that's not going to help you feel any better. So we need to look at some of the reasons. The effects of this attributional style you know, think about it. When everything is always negative, when everyone always leaves, when you always fail, when this always happens, that's going to be stressful because it means you have no control, you know, back to one of those threats again. Um, and if we're talking about negative, then it means you have no control over the negative things that happen in your life. Well, how depressing is that? So we want to take a step back and we'll talk about that. When anything happens, is seen anything that happens is seen as a reflection on you as a person it adds extra stress so i remember one time we were standing in the line at Publix, and we were getting ready to check out it was like four in the afternoon or something it was close to dinner time and my son was you know preschool age and he wanted candy you know they always have the candy there and i'm like no you're going to ruin your dinner just be patient for a second we'll be home in a minute no volume control whatsoever Sean looks at the cashier and he, he goes, well, so much for Publix where shopping's a pleasure. I was just like, oh my gosh, let's check out. Now, if I saw that as a reflection on me as a parent and everything else, I could have, you know, never gone to that store again. <laughs> but I looked at it as, you know, mouths of babes and went on about it. When things happen at work, 
if when bad things happen at work, if you always assume it has something to do with you, that adds extra stress. So you want to look at what kind of attributions you're having. And if you're taking responsibility for things that really you have no control over. So focus on things that are specific and alterable. If something bad happens at work, what was your part in it? In uh, recovery circles, a lot of times we talk about when you're pointing the finger at someone else, you've got two fingers pointing forward, but three pointing back at you. So what was your part in it? What specific things did you do? And what can be changed? I mean, some things can't be changed. So look at what you can do to improve the next moment. Identify the good things about you as a person. You know, global, internal, stable, positive attributions. Ain't nothing wrong with those. I want to encourage people to develop those. But, you know, that's, again, easier said than done. Focus on what's good about you as a person. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to choose wrong behaviors. But what's good about you? Find exceptions. When something happens, instead of saying something like everyone always leaves, find exceptions. Who in your life didn't leave? You know, who in your life is still there for you? Um, do you, as a person, represent that? Do you always leave? You know, something to look at. And explore the difference between what makes you a good person, you know, global, internal, stable, positive attributions, versus your skills, which, you know, you're not going to be good at everything. It's just the way life is. And your behaviors. Like I said, you're going to choose wrong behaviors sometimes. But you can, you know, ask for forgiveness, make amends, whatever. You can fix behaviors most of the time, or at least not repeat them. But you as a person are more global and stable. And having an extremely external or internal locus of control, and this is one of those psychology terms we use a lot, but basically an external locus of control means you don't believe you have control over anything. Life is predetermined. No matter what you do, it's just going to happen. So you might as well sit down on the couch and watch the world go by because everything's going to happen regardless of what you do. And that tends to communicate a sense of helplessness and powerlessness to do anything to improve your life. And I don't want to be in that place. On the other side, an extremely internal locus of control can also be stressful because you think you have control over everything. And again, in reality, you don't. You can't control other people. You can't control the weather. There's a lot of things you can't control, but you can control your reaction to other people. You can control your reaction when it's a rainy day. Um, you know, when I was in college, I used to run stadiums every day. Loved running stadiums. So whenever it was rainy outside, you know, I would get in a bad mood. I was like, I was supposed to run stadiums today. And I'm rigid enough that I couldn't just go to the gym. You know, my day was ruined. Well, that's a little bit overly traumatic. And it was me focusing on the fact that I couldn't control it and sticking with that instead of focusing on what I could control. What could I do differently for my workout that day? Or, you know, don't have to wash the car now. So finding a balance between ex external and internal locus of control is important. What you want to do is identify what things you can control and use your energy for those, you know. In a situation, whatever it is, if it's getting you upset, you will sit down, and if you're a visual person, maybe you'll write it down, what parts of this can I control? And one of the things you know you can control is your reaction to the situation. 
You can figure out what that's going to be. But what other things can I control in this situation in order to improve the next moment, in order to help make it more kind of what I want it to be or make it more tolerable, even if I can't make it what I want it to be? Um, and figure out how you're going to cope with things that you can't control. My, my son was a micro preemie. You know, I wouldn't have wished that on anybody. And it kind of sucked. He was in the, in the uh, NICU for two months. So I didn't get to take him home. I had to go visit him at the hospital for two months. And, you know, that was kind of tough to deal with, but I couldn't control that. So how did I cope with it? Well, eventually I kind of learned to look at it as Blue Cross funded childcare for the first two months. And, you know, that sounds horrible, but in order to be okay with it in my mind, as his mother, I felt horrible leaving him by himself at the hospital, but I couldn't live there. So focusing on the things I could control, going there to show up for his feedings and, you know, be with him during the day when I could was what I could control. So when there's a bad situation, there's going to be some stuff that just sucks and you're going to have to figure out how to make peace with it. But there's often, there are often things that you can figure out how to improve so it feels better for you. So unpleasant or negative emotions are natural and necessary for protection. I don't want you to think that you shouldn't ever feel anger or anxious. If you don't, that's a problem because anger and anxiety are the things that tell you something needs to change and that's okay. But holding on to those feelings, feelings aren't meant to be nurtured. Feelings are meant to spur you on to do something. Happiness spurs you on to do whatever it is again. Anger and anxiety spur you on to do something to change the situation, but they're emotions. So understanding that they're natural and necessary instead of telling yourself how you should be, just accept it. This is how I feel right now. Higher order thinking can determine which threats are actually posing a clear and present danger. So if you start to get stressed about something, say you see a spider and you're afraid of spiders, your higher order thinking can say, is this really threatening right now? You know, little, little tiny house spider. What can I do to change the situation? Do I need to get freaked out or can I squash it or walk away? Or if you're like me, you get a piece of paper and help it outside. But whatever it is you do to change the situation, your brain identifies kind of globally what it thinks are threats. And then it's up to your rational thinking to go, yes, it is, or no, thanks for the heads up, but this isn't worth my energy right now. When negative things are viewed as specific, changeable, and external, you feel more optimistic and, power and empowered. So when something happens to you, you know, maybe you uh, get laid off from your job. Now, you could view that as the world is awful, every job I have lays me off, yada, yada, yada. Or you can say, okay, I got laid off from this job, I can get another job, and it was more about what the company had going on, and they couldn't support having the staff that they did than it was about me. It was, it was about some external factor. It gives you more power. It helps you feel a little bit more optimistic. I mean, it's still a bad situation, but... The alternative is saying, I got laid off because I, I suck and every job I ever have will lay me off. And that's not a happy place to be. Eliminate the use of extreme words will help you reduce stress. So take the words like always and never. Check them. Pay attention for a week when 
as you talk, how often do you use extreme words? Like that always happens or she never does that. Hone it down. You can say she often doesn't do that, but look for exceptions about when she did do it or whatever. Find the silver lining. Sometimes things happen and it's not pleasant, but what can you learn from it or what's the benefit? And increase your awareness of what is and is not within your control. Too often we try to control things we have no control over. You can't control what the CEO at the company is going to do. You can only control how good of an employee you are, how dedicated you are, and, you know, your work product. So focusing on what's controllable instead of all the things that are out of your control can help you feel more empowered. So you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. You can join our Facebook group at docsnipes.com Facebook. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash allceuseducation, which is our clinical channel, but we also have a section in there for the Doc Snipes videos. And you can join our community and access additional resources at docsnipes.com. I'm going to take a brief break, and then I will be back with the final installment, part three of Preventing Vulnerabilities, and we'll kind of tie this all up with a nice little bow.